0: Hey friend, this is Rick Renner, and this week I'm talking to you about embracing your God-assigned place. And today we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul says the most amazing thing. And if you just read it in the King James, you'll probably just skip right over it. He said, according to the grace of God given unto me, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. But in that verse, Paul says something so powerful because he uses the Greek word kata, according to. It really means being dominated by the grace of God that is given to me. He surrendered to God's grace on his life. He was an apostle. And as an apostle, he was on the move all the time. He never really stayed very long where he could see the full manifestation of his fruit. When he left, other pastors came and they saw the great fruit. But Paul was a foundation layer. He was an apostle. Then he came to a moment where he threw up the white flag of surrender. And he said, God, I'm not arguing anymore with you about your call on my life. I'm surrendering. And when he surrendered, here he uses the word cata to describe what happened. It literally means being dominated by the grace of God which is given unto me. He embraced the grace. Have you embraced God's grace on your life? God has a specific assignment just for you. And when you throw out the white flag of surrender and say, Lord, I want to be dominated by your call, dominated by your grace. I'm not going to struggle with you anymore. That grace will begin to flow through you like a mighty river. It is amazing what happens when you embrace your God-assigned place. I'll
1: be back in just a moment, and that's what I'm going to teach you today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. I've been waiting for you,
0: and today we're going to take the next step in finding out how to accept and embrace our God-given place. God really has a place for you. You know, I'll tell you, in the early years of our ministry, I struggled with me. I struggled to know if I was as good as others. I even compared myself to others, put myself down. It took me years, but finally I came to a place where I understood God's grace shows up in me different than it does others, and I'm not in competition with anybody. Actually, I appreciate everyone so much. I watch Christian TV, and to me, every person just sparkles the grace of God differently. This is my grace. I do what I do. But when you finally accept your place, that's when you really begin to sparkle in your gift. And that's what I'm going to be talking to you about today, accepting your God-given place. By the way, I'm speaking to you from my series, which is called Accepting Your God-Assigned Place. It is so good. I believe it will feed you. Order your copy today. It comes in multiple formats. In this series, I discuss how to identify where God wants you to be. You need to know that. How to get into alignment with his plan for your life. Sometimes it's a transition. How to overcome the fear of transition. How to adapt and thrive in God's place for you? I know that these are questions that you're asking, and this series will help you get the answers, and it comes with a wonderful study guide, and the two of these together are just dynamite. Right now, we're also offering you my book called The Point of No Return, Tackling Your Next New Assignment with Courage and Common Sense. How I love this book. I wrote it at such a pivotal moment in my life when Denise and I and our family had taken the big leap It was the point of no return, leaving the United States to move into the Soviet Union. Denise and I had to embrace it, and we're still in the Soviet Union. In fact, this studio is not in America. This studio is in Moscow, Russia. We embraced the grace of God, and we have thrived in it. But we had to know how to cross the point of no return to get here and to do what God called us to do. And we had to learn that we could do it with courage, And God also expected us to use common sense. And that's what this book is about. I really want you to have it. I know it will help you. And today, for those who become partners, I always tell you, we send you a package of books as our way of saying welcome to the partner family. We send you Denise's book, The Gift of Forgiveness, and we send you my book called Life in the Combat Zone. I'm not prophesying a combat zone. Those happen without prophecy. They just happen in life. This book is how to survive it, how to thrive and overcome in the midst of any situation. And this book is dedicated to partners. And when you become a partner, that is a financial partner, you regularly financially support this ministry, we send you that package of books. And my friend, when you become a partner, you're going to make a difference in somebody else's life. I know you want your life to count. When you become a partner with this ministry, every gift you give is going to make a difference in someone else's life. I promise you, we are careful stewards of every gift. We understand what it means to give. We also give to ministries. It's sacrificial, and we appreciate it when you become a partner with our ministry. But today, I want you to grab your Bible, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. Now, up until today, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul really transitioning into his ministry to the Gentiles. And all of that happened when he arrived in the city of Corinth. But he was an apostle. And because he was an apostle, it means eventually he's going to move on to go somewhere else. Eventually, Paul left Corinth, and he moved on to the city of Ephesus, where he launched the next phase of his ministry. And later he wrote to the church of Corinth, and he said some very important things about embracing your grace, and embracing your specific place, and that's what we're going to be seeing today. So grab your Bible, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and today we're going to begin in verse 10, where he's addressing the Corinthians who are having a major problem in the church. They're comparing people to one another. And Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you, but to be perfectly joined together In the same mind and in the same judgment. When Paul says that there be no divisions among you, that word divisions is the Greek word schisma. This word schisma means to tear apart, as in violently rending or shredding a garment into pieces, and it is where we get the word for a schism, it means to split. So the very fact that Paul would use this word schisma tells us the church of Corinth was being shredded. It was being ripped to pieces. In fact, it was being so horribly shredded that Paul says, but that should be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That phrase perfectly joined together is extremely important. It is extremely important because it tells us How bad the shredding of the church had become perfectly joined together is a very old Greek term, which means to put back in order, to mend, to repair, and it was used to depict the restoration of order after a civil war, which means a civil war was occurring inside the church of Corinth. Brother was fighting brother. People were taking different sides. Slaughter was happening in the house of God. And when Paul says to the Corinthians, I want you to be perfectly joined together, it literally means set aside the weapons, put the war aside. It's time to restore order, rebuild the roads, rebuild communication. It's time to restore order to the church in the civil war. You say, what was the civil war happening inside the church of Corinth? Well, we know from verse 11. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. This word contentions is a translation of the Greek word eris. This word eris is very important. It is used in a political context to describe political parties that have different platforms and different agendas. So it means people in the church, different groups in the church, had different agendas. Some newer translations translate this word contentions as a parter party spirit. It is bitterly competitive spirit, so consumed with its own self-interest and self-ambitions that it's even willing to split and divide to achieve its own goals and purposes. So now different factions in the Church of Corinth are warring against each other. Every faction has its own platform. It has its own agenda. And just like political parties... Political parties have their own agenda. Every party, every group in the church was fiercely promoting its own agenda. Well, who were these parties in the church of Corinth? Well, we know that from verse 12. And 1 Corinthians 1, verse 12, Paul says, Now this I say that every one of you, (laughs) everyone is a Greek word, Hekastos, It's all encompassing. It means every one of you, without exception, which means this problem was affecting every single member of the church in Corinth. Every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas. And I have Christ, and Paul is so upset about this that he asks them the question in verse 13, is Christ divided? The word divided is the Greek word merizo, which means to divide, to divide into parts, to cut into pieces or to shred. And in fact, it is the very word used to describe the ripping of a garment. The ripping of a garment, not the clean cutting of a garment with a pair of scissors, but just the tearing, the violent ripping of a garment. Paul says, Christ, the church, In Corinth is being shredded by your behavior. And it was a party spirit that was at work inside the church. And Paul tells us in verse 12, some people were saying, I'm of Paul, others were saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, who is Peter, and others were saying I'm of Christ. Well, if you look at this list, you can figure out pretty easy how these political parties developed inside the church. There was the Paul Party, there was the Apollos Party, there was the Peter Party, there was the Christ party. Well, Paul started the church. Well, when you're the founding pastor of a church, people have a special love and devotion to you. People became accustomed to Paul, to his style. He is the only pastor they had ever known. He is what they all thought was the perfect pastor. But later, Apollos came. And Apollos' personality was different than Paul. Paul was rough. Paul was crude in his speech. He even writes about that himself. But Apollos was known to be a golden-tongued orator. He used huge words, very educated. He sounded like an an intellect. And people in the crowd said, well, we're not accustomed to this. We want Paul back. We like Paul's style. A new group in the church said, well, we like Apollos style better. Paul was crude. Apollos is intelligent. He's very smooth in the way that he speaks. And the church began to divide, not over the subject of doctrine. They began to divide over personality, whose personality they liked best. And at some point, apparently Peter had been in the church because there was even a Peter party. And last of all, there was a Christ party party. And the Christ party were the super spirituals who said, we don't belong to Paul. We don't belong to Apollos. We don't belong to Peter, not to anybody else. We only belong to Christ. And probably this was the roaming group who wasn't submitted to anybody's authority. And they claimed to be the super spirituals of the church. And the church in Corinth was being divided. And it was being shredded. And every one of these groups had their own platform. They had their own agenda. And like party spirits... Huh. They were fiercely promoting themselves to the exclusion of everyone else. And that's why when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Then in verse 3 he says, For you are yet carnal, the word carnal, the Greek word sarkikos, which means given to fleshly behavior, fleshly carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, Are you not carnal and walk as men? The word envy in this verse is the Greek word zealous. I'm going to read you from my notes. In a negative sense, it depicts a self-consumed person who's driven to see his agenda adopted. One who is competitive, jealous, envious, resentful, and filled with ill will for anyone who got what he wanted. It is fierce competitiveness. Wow. But he goes on to say, Envy and strife, the word strife, the Greek word aretheia. this is very, very important. It's a form of the word eres, which is translated contentions in chapter 1, verse 11. But here it is translated as the word strife, which is a great translation. And it describes a party spirit often translated as a party spirit because of its connection to political systems and political parties. It pictures an individual or group of people who push their agenda and ideas fiercely fighting to see their platform accepted. Thus, it results in strife, a self-seeking ambition that is more concerned about itself and the fulfillment of its own wants, desires, and pleasures than it is in the corporate body. So people were dividing everyone pushing their own platform, their own agenda, the Paul party, the Apollos party, the Peter party, all of these groups fighting each other. And Paul says in verse 4, for while one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are ye not carnal, sarkikos? You're so given to flesh, so flesh dominated. This is low level behavior. Then he says in verse 5, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers By whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Do you notice, naturally speaking, if Paul himself was competitive, Paul could have said, have you forgotten who started this church? Have you forgotten who laid the foundation of this church? Have you forgot who it was that first came to you? It was me, Paul. How could any of you like Apollos more than me? But Paul did not take that position. Instead, he said, who is Paul? What is the big deal about me? And who is Apollos? What is the big deal about Apollos? Do you not understand? We are just ministers by whom you believe. The word ministers, the Greek word diakonos. We're simply slaves, servants by whom in Greek, by whom, indicates instrumentality. We are the instruments through whom you believe. He said, even as the Lord gave to every man, why are you dividing over me and Apollos? Everyone comes to Christ through someone. If we keep dividing over that issue, we're going to divide all day. What is this nonsense? Then he says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The word planted describes the tilling of the soil and the planting of the seed. Paul says, my part was to be a planter. I was a starter. I was the first one to come. I had to toil the seed. My job was to plant the seed. That was my function. But when I was finished, somebody else came. That was Apollos and Apollos watered. The word watered is the Greek word patidzo, which means to water, to irrigate, or to nourish. It is a different function than one who plants. In here, Paul is saying, what is the comparison of the two of us? We have different roles. I am a planter. That's what I do. I'm good at what I do. I'm a planter. I came. I I toiled the soil. I turned the soil. I tilled the soil. I worked with the soil. I pulled the weeds. I planted the seed. But when I was finished, my part was done. Apollos came, and Apollos did something different than me. He irrigated. He nourished. He watered the seed. And then Paul says in verse 6, if we're going to get excited about anybody, it shouldn't be me, it shouldn't be Apollos, it should be God, because God is the one who gives the increase. The word increase is the Greek word axano. This word axano means something that is amplified, augmented, enlarged, enhanced, something that escalates or multiplies. And my friends, this is so very important. In fact, it's so important, look at what Paul says in verse 7. So the neither is he that planteth anything. The word anything is a Greek word "t," which describes the most minute and minuscule detail. Paul says, quit thinking about us. We are minute. We are minuscule in this big plan. Neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. And my friends, I want to tell you, you can plant, you can water, you can do your part. Somebody else can do their part. But if God does not get involved in the process, nothing's going to happen. God is the only one that provides the sun. He's the only one that provides the climate. He's the only one that provides the rain. God provides the atmosphere that makes it grow. And Paul says, rather than divide over personalities, let's fixate on God because God is the one who gives the increase. He says in verse 8, Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. The Greek word hen. It means we're equal in terms of importance. We have equal value. Our roles may be different, but both of us have very vital roles. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, look at what he says in verse 9. For we, that word we means me and Apollos. He's talking about him and Apollos. Me and Apollos. I'm a planter. He's a waterer. We have different roles. But we, the two of us, we are laborers together together, indicates they're not opposed to each other. They're each fulfilling their part on the team. Me and Apollos, we're laborers together with God, which means this is a trinity. It is Paul, it is Apollos, and the two of them each doing their part are working together with God. He says, you are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Well, up until this point, he's been using the illustration of a garden or a farm, tilling the soil watering the seed. But now he changes. He says, hey, here's another illustration. You're God's building. The word building is the Greek word oikodome, which means a building project. This is the construction of a building. So now Paul moves us to construction language. Then in verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another builds thereupon. In verse 10, when Paul says, according to, it is the Greek word, kata. Here it means according to or being dominated by the grace of God given unto me. Now Paul's drawing attention to himself. He says, I have a special grace, kata. It dominates me. This is the grace on my life. It makes me unique. It makes me different than others. And I understand my role. This is the particular grace given unto me. It's a grace different than the grace given to Apollos. Paul says, As a wise master builder, the word wise is the Greek word sophos, which in this case describes special insight. God's given me special insight, he says, to be a wise master builder. In Greek, this is the word architecton. It's where we get the word for an architect. An architect who develops the plans, designs the plans, divines the communication, works with all the builders. But he is an architect. He doesn't do the building himself he designs and gives oversight to the project. And Paul says, I know what is my grace. I can't do it all. He said, my part is to be an architect and I have special insight. I'm a wise master builder. I see the church. I see the body of Christ. I see what needs to be built. I see what needs to be done, but I can't do it without partnership with others. Paul knows his role And he knows what is the role of others. And that's why he goes on to say, another builds thereupon. Notice he's not threatened by that. He said, when my part's finished, somebody else comes along, they build on top of the foundation. What nonsense it would be to build a foundation and to finish and walk away and say, what a great foundation, but never build the building. But Paul says, I don't build the building. I'm the architect. I lay the foundation. I set the plans in place. But another builds thereupon. Paul has no competition with Apollos or with anybody else. He learned to shine in his gift. And in these chapters, Paul forbids competition and forbids us to compare ourselves to others. Just like Paul, you and I need to say, according to the grace given unto me. You need to understand what is your grace and not fear that you're less than others or that others sparkle better than you. Forget about others and learn what is your grace. Embrace your grace. God's assigned place for you. Embrace it, and you'll be the best you can be. And that's what God wants you to be. But you've got to embrace God's grace for you to really flourish. And by the way, never compare yourself to anybody else. You're not like anybody else. Other people sparkle different than you, and you sparkle different than anybody else. We're out of time, but I'll be back in just a moment, and I'm going to pray for you.
1: How do you get from where you are to where God wants you to be? Sometimes before you can get into the right place, you have to get unstuck from where you are. When you finally move into the place God has for you, you'll find supernatural blessings waiting for you. In the five-part series, Accepting Your God-Assigned Place, you'll learn how to identify where God wants you to be, How to get into alignment with God's plan for your life. How to overcome the fear of transition. How to adapt and thrive in God's new place for your life. Available in digital or physical format, starting at just $10. This series will help you make the overdue decisions that you wanted to make for a long time. In addition to this teaching series, you can also purchase the book, The Point of No Return. In this powerful book, Rick vividly describes how to take steps of faith into your God-designed future. It's time for you to stop looking across the river of change and start believing the waters will part as you step forward in faith. You can do it, but you need to know how. And that is what you'll discover in this timely book. Don't delay ordering your copy today because it will help propel you into the plan God has for you. Order your copy of The Point of No Return for only $15. Don't miss this special offer, accepting your God-assigned place and The Point of No Return. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now.
0: When Denise and I began our ministry many decades ago, the Holy Spirit gave us Romans 10, 18, which says, Yea, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. And in all of these decades, we've been doing our best to obey this mandate from heaven. And today, miraculously, we are reaching people clear to the very end of the earth. We're reaching people in the Russian-speaking world and millions of them. We're reaching people in the English-speaking world World, AND LARGE NUMBERS OF PEOPLE ARE NOW REACHING OUT TO US FOR PRAYER, SUPPORT, AND RESOURCES. AS A RESULT OF ALL OF THIS GROWTH, WE NEED A NEW MINISTRY HOME IN TULSA, AND WE NEED TO CONSTRUCT A NEW TV STUDIO IN MOSCOW WHERE WE CAN PREPARE TEACHING THAT WILL CHANGE PEOPLE'S LIVES. IN TULSA, WE HAVE NO MORE ROOM TO GROW, YET WE'RE GROWING EXPONENTIALLY ALL DAY. Every day our pastoral partner care department is ministering to people from around the planet who are reaching out to us for prayer and support. Oh how I wish you could be there to hear the calls and see how people's lives are literally being changed. And in Moscow we are bursting at the seams as Russian speakers from around the world are reaching out to us for prayer and for support. We're producing up to seven daily TV programs, and we desperately need a larger studio to produce Bible teaching that people can trust that will change their lives. In both locations, in Tulsa and in Moscow combined, we need 50,000 square feet of new space so we can minister to the precious people God is bringing to us. And with the land, architectural plans, all furnishings, TV equipment, everything we need, the entire ministry expansion project comes to $120. A square foot and friend it 's not about buildings it 's about having the space we need so we can effectively minister to the needs of people we're told in matthew twenty eight verse nineteen go into all the world and teach all nations that 's what we're doing, but we need your help so we can do it more effectively We need a new ministry home in Tulsa and we need a new studio in Moscow where we can prepare teaching that people can trust and i 'm asking you today to ask the Holy Holy Spirit, if he wants you to be a part of the giving team to help us accomplish this expansion project. Ask him today, Holy Spirit, would you want me to be a part of this and do whatever he tells you to do as together we fulfill the great commission of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. You know, when I understood Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3:10, where he says, according to the grace of God given unto me, It really set me free. Paul said, there's a grace of God given to me. It dominates me. It makes me who I am. It makes me different than others, which meant he was not in competition with anyone else. And when I really understood that, that was the time that I stopped comparing myself to others. I have a grace that is unique to me. It makes me who I am. You have a grace that is unique to you. You don't have to be like anybody else. You just have to know the grace given unto you and allow yourself to flourish in it. That's why I want you to get my series called Accepting Your God Assigned Place. I truly believe this series will make a difference for your life. You'll hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it. You'll see it or you'll listen to it and it will really put this truth in you. And if you use the study guide, which comes along with it, My goodness, it will just reinforce you learning to accept your God-assigned place. Right now, we're also offering you my book, which says, Tackling Your Next New Assignment with Courage and Common Sense. The name of the book is The Point of No Return. You need to know how to cross that point and get into the place that God has for you. And as I always tell you, for those who become partners with our ministry, first of all, I want to say thank you if you are a partner so grateful for you. And if you'd like to become a partner, that is someone who financially regularly supports our ministry by calling us now or going online. When you become a partner, we'll immediately send you a package of books that are dedicated to partners. That's our way of saying, welcome to the partner family. And I speak the blessing of God to you in Jesus name, Accept the grace of God that is given to you. I'll see you tomorrow. Until then, remember Ecclesiastes 8:4, 4, where the word of a king is, There
1: really is power.